You know, there, there are certain concepts in faith, certain scripture passages, certain things in faith that I've always kind of run away from. Things I didn't like dealing with. Things I, I didn't like talking about. Things that, that challenged me or made me uncomfortable or just unsettled me that I just frankly, I've said before, I would just, I didn't want to deal with them. So I would ignore them or I'd run away from them or I would not talk about them. There are always, there, there are always parts of faith that are just so, so challenging to us that we don't really even, even know what to do. And I think, I think y'all, that's part of the struggle of faith. It's because here's the deal. Intellectually, in our hearts, we can believe something, believe something about our faith, believe something about who we are, and we, we have an intellectual belief in that, and we know we believe it, and we agree with it, and it's there, and we're good with it. But, but the challenge comes is when this individual belief, that thing we hold to, we, do, we feel a disconnect because sometimes in our lives, in our lives, we don't live by what we believe. Or we believe it here, but we don't, we don't see it come into fruition in our life. And so there's this, there's this disconnect sometimes in our faith. And maybe I'm the only person who ever feels this way, but I think it's true for all of us that sometimes we have a real disconnect between what we believe and what we see in our life. What we know intellectually, what we believe in our hearts to be true and the struggles that we face in the day today living. There's always sometimes in our life just this real struggle, just this real disconnect between the intellectual faith that we believe and hold to in our minds and the real day-to-day living of our faith. I feel like sometimes we, we wrestle with that. And one of, the, one of the myths that we bought into, I think, sometimes is that faith's supposed to be easy. You know, you, you, you get saved, you're converted, you join the church, things happen, you're a member, and everything from there is supposed to be just easy and smooth sailing. That's the way it's supposed to be. But what, what we find sometimes, at least for me, is that's not the case. Sometimes, sometimes faith is, is, a, is a wrestling match with God. Sometimes it's a challenge. In fact, that, the notion of the wrestling match, that's one of, my, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible is Jacob wrestling with God. I, I think that, y'all, is one of the most perfect analogies for what faith is, is Jacob wrestling with God. And by the way, if you ever think you've done some dumb things and you're imperfect, go read about Jacob. Dude had problems. I mean, seriously. I mean, he's like the young and the restless, you know? Another day. Days of our lives, another world. Any of that? Nothing? Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, go and look. If you ever struggle with your faith, if you ever think you're unworthy, if you ever think you've done too much that God can't use you, go and read the story of the patriarchs. Abraham, not once, but twice, goes into a foreign country and tells the king that Sarah is not his wife, but is his sister. Not once, but twice. That would not go well in my marriage, y'all. Like, that's not a love language. I mean, just, just not. So you see these Old Testament saints, saints struggle. So I love the notion of Jacob. 
Because we see Jacob, when he's going back to make up with Esau after the dumb things he did, he's going to make it right. Scripture says at night God came to him, and they wrestled throughout the night. And, and Jacob pushed and fought and battled with God. But the entire time, God had Jacob in a hold and would not let him go. Y'all, and I think that's such a beautiful analogy for what faith is. Because sometimes we just wrestle. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we fear. Sometimes we're overwhelmed. Sometimes, sometimes our faith is just a struggle. And in the, in the struggle, in the day-to-day, in the work, we see what happened with Jacob, which was this, is that God never let him go. No matter how difficult the struggle, no matter how hard it was, no matter how much he pushed back, God never let him go. Faith is not always easy, but it's always beautiful. It's always worthwhile. So for me, one of the areas that I've struggled with is notion of holiness. Holiness is an issue in faith that, I, that I've always struggled with. Because here's the deal. You, you, see, you see in the Bible, there's no biblical doubt that as the people of God, we're called to be holy. Scripture is uniform and Scripture is clear. We are called to be holy. The Bible says multiple times, be ye holy as your Father is holy. So entire books of the Bible are written about how Christians are called to be holy. So, and we would all agree with that. I mean, it may be called different things, holiness, sanctification, whatever. But we all agree in our core Christian doctrine, Christians are called to be holy, called to be different, called to be different and holy from the world. We get that intellectually. But here's the problem. My life often is not very holy. I try. I work hard at it. And I feel like I fail. I had a lady in the Delta that had some, had, had some, some, some signs on her wall that always made me laugh. And one of them was, the, the harder I try, the worser I get. Is that, that's how I feel sometimes. The harder I try, the worser I get. I really want to be holy because I know intellectually that I should be. I know the Bible teaches it. I know as Christians we believe it, but yet I feel the disconnect because I, tr- I know it. I, want, I try and I fail. And so I struggle with, well, I know I should, but I don't do it right. And you just, you just feel like your heart's open sometimes because you get so frustrated. You get so frustrated because you know you want to please God and you want to know you want to do right, but you just don't do it right. So we run away from it. Or we do something worse. We turn it into legalism. I do not like legalism. Legalism has two major problems, in my opinion. First, and both of them are equally dangerous. First, it makes us think we're better than people. You know, we Christians, we're moral. And the world, bless their hearts. Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. And I think I know why Paul said that. You know why Paul said that? Paul said that because Paul's a Pharisee. Paul knew the law. Paul knew the dictates of the law. Paul knew what he should do. And he knew that he failed every day. Paul said he was the chief of all sinners because he knew better and he still messed up every day. I'm the chief of all sinners. 
I know better. Yet I fail every day. As Christians, we're without an excuse. We know better, y'all. We actually, we know better. We got the Bible. We got it. We know better. And yet we still blow it. So I think we should that, should, that should put within us a sense of humility. Because folks that don't know Jesus, folks that aren't Christian, they don't know better. I mean, because you've got to ask yourself this question. Do you really believe Jesus makes a difference in your life? If you really believe Jesus makes a difference, how can you expect folks that don't know Jesus to act like those that do? If you're going to spend your life being mad at lost folk, frank like lost folk, you're going to be mad a lot. Because people that don't know Jesus are not going to act like those that do know Jesus. So I don't expect folks that don't know Jesus to act like they know Jesus. I do kind of expect us that do know Jesus to to act like we know Jesus. So I think, if anything, legalism, one of the dangers of legalism is this. It makes us feel like we're morally superior to folks that don't know Jesus when we're not. We just know Jesus. And the only way they're going to know Jesus is if we love them like Jesus. That's how they know our Savior. So that's one danger of legalism. The second danger is this. It makes our walk with God an equation. Jennifer mentioned math earlier. I agree, math is the devil. St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest quotes ever. St. Thomas Aquinas said, algebra is the language of the devil. And I agree with that. (laughs) If I do these things here, God will love me. If I do these things here, I will prove that I'm worthy of God. I was talking to somebody recently whose family is going through a tragedy. And they said, you know, I know, I know God's testing me. I know God, I know I've, or I've done something wrong and God is punishing me. Y'all, you got to understand this. God is not out to get you. The danger with legalism is we make ourselves try to work for God's approval. Here's what we do. Here's what you say when you do that. When you live that legalistic lifestyle with you trying to earn God's love, what you're saying is this. You're saying Jesus didn't do enough. If you have to do one thing, if you have to do one thing to earn God's love, what you're saying is that the cross and the resurrection were not enough. That it is not Jesus for salvation. It's Jesus plus your efforts for salvation. And the Bible is very clear. We are saved by grace through faith, lest no man can boast. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. If you have to do one thing to make God love you, then you're saying Jesus didn't do enough. And friends, that simply is not the case. Jesus Christ paid it all. There's nothing you have to do other than repent, believe, and accept. You don't earn it, you receive it. That's the danger of legalism. As legalism thinks we got to get it all right. And that's simply not the case. Holiness is not legalism. Okay, preacher, then what's holiness? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. I grew up in a small school, Bogachetta. We, we have historically been terrible at football. Like, I've got football stories I'll share with you through the years. We were awful, just atrocious, awful. 
the, the study thing about little children, like we're good at football now, which I just can't wrap my mind around. Um, we got a kid now playing at a, an SEC school that I, I won't name who signed a scholarship there that's in the state of Mississippi, who I'm not going to talk about. Um, we got a kid playing college football in Mississippi State. That's crazy. We're terrible at football. And we've now produced a Division I college football player. It just blows my mind that that happened to Boca Chetta. We're awful. So historically, we were awful at football. The thing we've been good at throughout the foundation of my home school is basketball. We are a basketball school. Always been pretty good at boys, but girls basketball, we can play. I mean, we won, we had a period, we won five state titles in 10 years. I mean, we're, we're good at basketball. So if you go to Bogachetta, you may not play basketball on the team, but you're going to play basketball at some point. Just playing around the gym. You're going you're gonna to learn about basketball. It's just what we do there. Christianity. Your faith, holiness, it's just like rebounding. Just like rebounding. Let me unpack that. I'll tell you something's going to shock you. I know you don't believe this. You're not going to believe it. You're going to say, no, you're wrong, Andy. I don't have a great vertical leap. I know. You would think I could jump out of the gym just looking at me. That's what you think. I know. But I've always been a pretty decent rebounder when I play basketball. And here's why. The point of rebounding is this. It's all about positioning. It's all about fundamentals. The point, the way you rebound in basketball is this. You place yourself between your guy and the basketball. You box out. You block out. You put yourself between your person and the ball. And if you do that, something good's going to happen. Either you're going to get the rebound or they're going to go over your back and foul you. But if you are in the right position, you're going to put yourself in a place to either get the ball or get the foul. Basketball, rebounding, it's all about positioning. It's putting yourself in the right position. Charles Barkley was not particularly tall. He was one of the best rebounders in NBA history because he understood positioning. He put himself between his man and the ball Every time, and either got the ball or got fouled every time. Christianity is the same way. It's all about positioning. It's all about putting ourselves in the right position to hear God. Friends, that's what holiness is. Holiness is like Jeremiah today. Where Jeremiah put himself in a position where God said, I'm going to use you. He said, I can't do it. And scripture says, God reached out his hand and touched Jeremiah. And in that touch, God made him holy. All Jeremiah did was put himself in the right position to be touched. Holiness, being holy, being different is not about your efforts. It's not about what you do. It's not about you being legalistic. It's about you placing yourself in a position where God can speak to you, where God can touch you, where God can use you. So much of Christianity is just about you placing yourself in the right position where you can hear God speak, where you can hear God move, where you can know God, where you can be touched by God, where you can be changed by God, where you can be transformed by God. Our job is to put ourselves in that position to experience God. Well, Andy, what are those positions? It's another good question. I'm glad you asked. It's almost like you've seen my notes. 
John Wesley. Now, let me, let me say this about John Wesley. He's kind of like Jeremiah. I'm kind of like uh, a Jacob. Like, you ever feel bad about yourself? Go read about John Wesley's life. Like, if your marriage is, is rocky, go read about John Wesley's marriage. It, you're like, whoa, all right. We're doing great. We really are. I mean, so, uh, so when I talk about Wesley, believe me, he's just a guy. There's no, he's not a wizard. He's not magical. He's just a guy. So the only reason why we keep quoting Wesley is because he's just a human being that God used to say some good things to the church. But John Wesley did not die for our sins. Only Jesus Christ died for our sins. So when I talk about Wesley, I want you to understand that's why I do it, just because he said some good stuff, but he is by no means perfect. But Wesley said, for those of us in the Wesleyan tradition, those of us that are Methodist, he said there are five what he called means of grace. These are things that we do. These are positions we put ourselves in where we will hear God. We will experience God, and we will know that God is real, and God will change us. These five means of grace. The first three kind of run together. First one is Scripture, searching the Scriptures. Y'all, there's never been a time in human history where the Holy Bible is more available than it is right now. We are without an excuse. Every one of us has a Bible. By the way, if you don't have, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. One of the things I've told every church I ever served, we'll make sure folks have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, let me know. We'll get you one. If you know a child that doesn't have a Bible, let me know. We'll get them one. There has never been a time in human history where the Bible is more readily available than it is right now. We, all, we have our personal Bibles. We have our few Bibles in church. We have, we have our smartphones, which everybody has an app on their phone that has a Bible on there. We have the Internet. It's everywhere. God's Word is available everywhere. I heard a preacher say this one time, and it's true. You will never know God's unknown will for your life if you do not know his known will. You will never know God's unknown will. The questions you have, where should I go, what should I do, these type things. You will never know his unknown will for your life unless you know his known will, which is his word. Holy Scripture will change you. We are instructed both from our church tradition and from the teaching of the word to, to be in the word daily. That's why I send that little email devotional every morning. I want to do all that I can. I love the Bible says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I love that phrase. I've always interpreted that to mean let the word of God marinate you. You know how you marinate when you're cooking? You let the meat just kind of soak it in. It's how the Bible should be in our lives. We should be exposed to it constantly. John Wesley said the Bible is doubly blessed. It was blessed when it was written, and it's blessed when it's read. If you want to change your life, if you want to be serious about seeking God's face and knowing his will, you have to be in his word. Apart from that, you won't be. You just won't be. I love you, but it's not going to happen. John Wesley said, one means of grace is searching the scriptures. The second is prayer. Prayer, seeking God's face through prayer. And y'all, I struggle with prayer. Like, I, I love to read the Bible. It's great. You know, reading the Bible's fun. I take notes. It's wonderful. I don't like praying because I like to talk. 
And I'm good at the talking part of prayer, but I'm not so good at the listening part of prayer. For me, that's the hard part is to be quiet, to be still in front of God and pray and listen. And so often we don't do that. C.S. Lewis said this one time, we mistake prayer for magic. Magic is when we try to get God to do our will. Prayer is when God tries to get us to do his. How much of our prayer life is just simply us telling God the things he should do? The things we need him to bless, the things we need him to fix. We give God his marching orders and then we go off about our way. For me, the notion of sitting before my Savior and simply in silence listening for his voice is so hard. I don't do it well, but I make myself as often as I can do it. Because if I do not know his voice, if I, am not tra- if I have not trained my ear to hear his voice, I will not know how to walk. Praying, seeking his face through prayer, it is a means of grace by which God draws us to himself and changes us. The third is kind of like the first two, fasting. You know, now not many of us preach on fasting, you know, because we all like to eat. Um, and I don't mean just fasting from food. Just like the Bible's never been more readily available, um, we've never been more overwhelmed in our life, have we? When's the last time we just were quiet and still and put, all, put away the cell phone and turned off the TV and turned off the radio and sat there in silence listening from God. The fast that we might need to take might not be a fast from food, but it might be a fast from the things that overwhelm us, from the things that that pull at our time, the things that pull at at, at our hearts, the things that pull at our attention. John, John Piper said this one time, says, the reason why Facebook and Twitter exist is so in the last day, we will not say that our lack of prayerfulness was was because of lack of time. My mama put it like this. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I would imagine for us in this part of the world, our great struggle is with, the, is with, busy, is with busyness. We get so busy, we don't have time to actually seek God's face. We get so busy sometimes doing good things, things that are important, things that are vital. We don't have time to see God's face. Fasting, pruning our lives, gives us the space we need to find God's face. Wesley said the fourth was communion, taking the Lord's Supper. In doing this act, we receive grace and are made, made aware of God's real presence in our life. Communion. And the last one, is what he called conferencing. Um, you know, that's why in the Methodist Church we have so many conferences, charge conference, general conference, annual conference, all these type of things. What he meant there was Christian conversation. Y'all, we need each other. We need each other. The first, first 5K I ever ran in my life was in Oxford. And if you ever run in Oxford, y'all, that town's nothing but hills and hollows. I mean, it's up and down the entire time. So I start running. About five minutes, five minutes into, I want to throw up and die. I mean, I want to just throw up and die and have somebody drag my lifeless body off the course. But I didn't. You know why? 
I had people running beside me, encouraging me, telling me that I could do it, not giving up on me, helping me. And I made it through the race. Y'all, there's going to be times in your life you want to throw up and die. And that's why we need the church. That's why we need somebody walking beside us. That's why we need somebody encouraging us. That's why we need somebody challenging us. That's why we need somebody helping us. That's why we need each other, y'all. We, no man is an island. We are not created to live alone. Your faith was not made to be lived alone. We need each other. We need worship. We need Sunday school. We need small groups. We need service. We need youth. We need children. We need all these things. We need all the things that church gives us. We need these things. Our souls need them. We won't truly live without them. Because here's the thing, y'all. I promise you. I get, my mom always said, don't make promises because you don't want to break them. I don't make many promises. My kids to this day have learned if they want me to do something, they make me promise them because I'm not going to break my word. I promise you. If the only exposure you have to St. Matthew's is worship, you will leave our church at some point because we will fail you. We'll get it wrong. I will fail you at some point. It's going to happen. Mark it down because I'm not Jesus. I'm just a guy. The only way you stay truly connected to a church is to be plugged in to something beyond just the worship experience. Small groups, service, Sunday school, choir, youth, children, something, because that is when our life is transformed and changed. It's not just in worship, but it's every day having brothers and sisters walking beside you, loving you, praying for you, caring for you, living with you. We need each other. Apart from the community of faith, we cannot make it. We need this. When our Lord taught us to prayer, taught us to pray, the first word of that prayer was what? Our. A prayer to be prayed together. We need it. So holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not trying to be better than somebody. Holiness is placing yourself in a position to hear God and to experience God. That's our calling as Christians. Is to do that. So my prayer for you in this week is that all of us place ourselves in that position to experience God. Let's pray.